Hello, everybody. You are listening to Drive Into the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike. I am here with Dante and Tommy. And this is a sort of part two of sorts. Uh, as, as those of you would know who, uh, who listened to our last episode, uh, we went into that. We're actually recording them back to back with a lot of content to talk about. Spoke in the last episode just a bit more about the draft and about the, the team's new outside free agents, so to speak. And uh, it was going to be a super long episode, so we decided to split it into two. So uh, we're going to speak in this one about uh, the team's re-signed free agents and then uh, about Summer League, which is fast approaching. Starts on Sunday, actually. So uh, first, though, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors at DraftKings. You've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, and now a payday can come every day by entering their contests with huge cash prizes up for grabs. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night, and it's extremely simple to do. Just draft your lineup, feel the sweat, and make every moment mean more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to users all across sports. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports, so there's absolutely no better place to get in on all of the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app now and sign up using code TBPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code TBPN to get a free entry with your first deposit, only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, so... Uh, two free agents we know so far who are going to be back for the Pistons, uh, Corey Joseph and Saban Lee. So Corey Joseph back on a two-year deal for $10 million in total, second year as a player option. Dante, I know that Corey jo- Joseph excuse me, was one of your absolute favorite players. Like You've oh, got yeah. his, all of his NFTs and everything. So what's Jalous mm-hmm. how you feel about this? Well, I've got multiple Corey Joseph jerseys hanging on the wall behind me. So this is nice in my household, to say the least. But kidding aside, I really didn't like Joseph at the beginning of his tenure because it was like, oh, we got these, um, you know, these picks back and Corey Joseph for DeLon Wright. Cool. The seconds are nice. I'm sure Kojo won't play. And oh, did he play? (laughs) He played a lot. And uh, it was partially frustrating because he was performing so well, at least in limited spurts, that he was really hurting the tank, or at least, you know, we perceived him to have been doing that. Obviously, things worked out in the end, but I don't know. I mean, it was frustrating for a little bit, but I grew to kind of have a soft spot for him because everybody wrote him off. Uh, He just came in, was a professional, performed, even though the fans didn't like it. You can't ask a player to tank, maybe organizations, but not players. So he came in, did his thing. Seems to have developed uh, quite the rapport with Killian as well. So, I mean, anything that helps Killian out helps the organization too. So, I'm okay with it. I just hope that his role is uh, reduced, I guess. But other than that, no issues. Yeah, I agree with you, man. Like, well, I actually liked the signing initially. So, maybe this is like you liked Kelly initially. I liked Corey initially. We both kind of mellowed out on both of those guys. But I. Yeah. Even way before we decided to re-sign Corey Joseph, I really wanted to kind of bring him back if possible. And I didn't even know if it was possible because we obviously had to uh, cut him or waive him. That cost him some money. And then we were able to bring him back after the fact. But I really liked what he brought. And I, I do feel like this team could use a little bit more in the way of veteran leadership. And like you said, his relationship with Killian, apparently that's like a very real thing. And I think if you want to get the most out of Killian, you got to make him comfortable and Anything that contributes to that is good news in my book because uh, 
De'Aaron Fox spoke very well of him. Tyrese Halliburton spoke very well of him. And then having him here, uh, having a guy like that on your roster who already has some history with the coach, knows what the coach is like, that's that's all very good. And $5 million a year, very reasonable. And I'm happy that he'll be here because, if anything, at the very least, I think he'll be able to provide some stability, maybe not outright top-end skill. He's not going to be a world beater, but just stability uh, on a very, very young team that could theoretically have some issues. So I'm definitely happy with this signing. And I think this goes back to a point that I made. We all thought Corey Joseph was going to come in and make the team worse. Like DeLon Wright was playing too well. The tank was at risk of being messed up. So we need to move a decent player in DeLon Wright for a lesser player in Corey Joseph. So we get Corey Joseph in a couple seconds and Corey Joseph comes here and ends up playing very well. And I think that speaks well, that, that, points to some good things that the organization is doing, that the coaching staff are doing. And uh, maybe we judge players a little bit differently in terms of how good they are when you want the team to lose, as opposed to I think a lot more fans this season are going to want the team to win. So maybe we'll see some frustration. Maybe it's um, it's honestly probably likely that last year was a bit of a fluke for him. But we'll see. And I think at the very least, he'll just be a good presence in the locker room and can't have too many of those guys. Yeah, I think... I mean, last year changed my mind a little bit about the value of experienced players, guys who can set an example and and really just help to keep things, just help to keep things together, and then be and be guides, so to speak, be mentors for younger players. It, it's not. I don't buy into the notion that hey, you know, you've got an older player, he's here to mentor such and such. You know, some players are good for this. Some some players are better for that than others. So. Joseph, however, is just, he had a really good reputation uh, with the Kings, with their young players, even like De'Aaron Fox had nothing but great things to say about him. I think it said Corey Joseph was like his older brother. And uh, I think both he and Halliburton said that Corey Joseph helped him a lot with on-ball defense, for example. The guy's just got a great reputation overall as a professional. And he needs some of those guys. Like you lost Wayne Ellington. Uh, he went to the Lakers and, and Ellington by all accounts, just a great locker room guy. He was actually replaced. He was actually uh, signed, not signed to replace Galloway, but he did replace Galloway in that in that same capacity. So um, you had Mason Plumley, who was brought in kind of as a culture guy as well, to a degree. He's gone. You still got Jeremy Grant around, but uh, aside from him, I mean, that's that's really, uh, you know, if you were just going with, uh, if you hadn't re-signed Corey Joseph, for example, you're just going, well, you could have signed another veteran, whatever the case. It's basically just him and Grant on the team as far as, as veterans of that uh, of that capacity. I mean, the uh, assuming you're not keeping Rodney Magruder, I mean, your next most experienced player is going to be Jaleel Okafor at, uh, at the very old age of 25. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> oh, wait, Kelly Olenek, forgot about him. Uh, in any event, yeah, I think it was a good signing. Uh, just all that rambling aside, is basically just getting me to the point that uh, he seems to be a really solid veteran leader. Yeah, I think he's just he's good for young players, and he also just adds some stability. I agree that he overperformed last season, but I, I don't mind seeing him come back. The one and only concern I have is that Dwayne Casey is very, very partial. I'll put it this way: he shows very, I wouldn't say due deference, what he seems to perceive as due deference to veterans. And so I'm kind of concerned that Corey Joseph might end up getting minutes that aren't necessarily merited simply because he's in the road, just simply because he's on the roster. But I'm not unhappy about the signing. I think it was fine. 
Can I just address that that concern? This isn't uh, this obviously isn't a guarantee, and I I still a significant part of me still thinks Corey Joseph is going to start some nights, probably to begin the year, if I had to guess. But <laughs> when Casey was talking about the guard rotation in some of his uh, pressers, he referred to Killian and Cade as like their thing, and then Corey Joseph and Saban Lee as their other thing. So I think that at least in the long term, they want that to be the guard rotation and the guard lineup. So I'm not overly concerned about that. And I know that we all don't like, you know, watching the veterans play when we actually have to sit down and watch them play when we want to see these other guys uh, take the reins. But I think they're like, we saw it with Stewart and we saw it with Bay. There is some benefit, honestly, I think to taking it a little bit slowly, especially with a guy like Killian. I don't, I don't think Saban's going to be in the NBA this season to start. I would say he's very, very likely going to be in the G league, especially yeah, so I don't think your second unit is going to be Corey Joseph and uh, and, and Saban Lee. I'm, I'm guessing that's if Hamadou Diallo is back, then he's going to be taking probably primarily those backup uh, those backup wing minutes. We'll, we'll talk about him a little bit later. But yeah, I'm curious to see what Dante has to say. I, I suspect I made him quite angry. I believe that I'm representing Tommy correctly in that I don't think you want Corey to start or to, actually Tommy. Let me let, let me rephrase it this way. Can you explain your opinion so then I can tell you why you're wrong? <laughs> yeah, so one of my things with Killian going coming into the coming into his rookie season was that I felt like he might struggle with the physicality of the NBA, especially with his lack of burst. Um, so I I feel like this this was a, a concern that we had on opening night. It was like out of the three rookies, why is Killian getting the start? And I, I think it backfired honestly. I think he was incredibly uncomfortable with the physicality, the speed, and the the pace of the game. And I think it would have been much smarter, especially when you see how well it worked for Stewart and Bay, if they had just brought him off the bench, let him get comfortable and just slowly advance him. He came into, it was seven games and then he comes back and then he starts and comes off the bench, but he comes in and is just like, I feel like it was just too much too quickly for Killian. And that's not going to be the case for every rookie. Some rookies are probably perfectly fine starting on opening night. I honestly think that Casey, like Casey is, has had, some input on who gets drafted. Like I know he was a big part of Seku getting drafted. Like it was Ed Stefanski and Dwayne Casey who were at his pro day. And I suspect that Killian was just like one of Casey's favorites coming into the year. I think that's why he got the start out of the three of them. So I just feel like it would have been a lot better. I think it would be beneficial maybe even to start this year. If not only to give Killian easier competition to, adjust back into the pace of the NBA game, but for Cade to have a guy who splits the ball handling duties with a little with him a little bit, if you're going to start him, I think that's stability and the stability and just the benefit of having a veteran player is very real. And that's what I would like to see on opening night. Yeah. Uh, I think we can all agree definitely about just, just the value of having that veteran presence. I don't think that it would be ideal for him to start just because he's Corey Joseph, unless he's really turned over a new leaf as of last season in terms of his perimeter shooting is a largely on ball player. I don't think you want to have him playing that large of an on ball role. Not alongside. It's, certain... it's the long-term play. Cause I, 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 I agree with you. Like obviously Corey play. Joseph yeah. isn't Yeah, It's Corey Joseph. Isn't going to be your long-term story. He's not going to be a good player. It's just, I think Killian really struggled coming out of the gate and I would like it for him to be eased into it a little bit more. Now, Killian. This is a different story between Killian and Kate Cunningham. I mean, Killian came. From I think that, yeah, it's two separate things, but it's, it's like two, it's two, 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 two birds, one stone. No, I strongly disagree with that. Uh, Killian came out of the Euro Cup, out of uh, 
Radio Farm Ulm. Very, I mean, he's still had a lot to work on, but uh, he also, Euro Cup is not really that high level of a league. So, I mean, he's playing against, uh, I'd say, a considerably lesser degree of opposition than uh, than the average NCAA player faces. He's playing in a very different situation in which he is the guy and gets to do pretty much, you know, the team plays around him. And, you know, like I said, he's still got, he got a lot to work on. I mean, the guy came into the NBA unable to really even operate with his right hand. I mean, he wasn't, he just in many ways, he wasn't ready. And I agree a disservice was done to him by starting him because he just wasn't ready. Also, it was just a disaster. He had to play alongside, but you know, it was a terrible situation. They just basically bring the ball off the court, pass it to Blake Griffin and get out of the way. Basically put his, what his role boiled down to. So you bring in Cade Cunningham, uh, in this situation. Yeah. You bring in Cade Cunningham, number one overall pick considered by, by many draft experts to be one of the most polished prospects to come out of the NCAA. I think I'm taking somebody's words directly. It's probably Mike Schmitz or, or, uh, or Giveny, whatever. Sorry, I'm not doing it intentionally, <laughs> but it's considered to be an extremely polished prospect coming out of the NCAA. This is not a guy who's coming in with very rough edges and a lot to learn. And I'd say this is an entirely different situation. And you see plenty of guys who come out of college, plenty of topics come out of college and in possession heavy roles and do well. So no, I don't think they're equivalent at all. I'll, I mean, I'm sure I I want to answer that, but I'm, I bet Dante has something to say, and we've haven't given him a chance to speak. But I I have one concern with Cade outside of the athleticism, and I think it's pertinent to like what his role is starting off in the league. Watching his film, I think one of the things he still needs to work on is his handle, and that's not a brand new concept, but I think. If you want him to be a lead ball handler, you shouldn't thrust him into that role completely just yet. I think Corey Joseph can take some of that pressure off of him. Cade can play on and off ball. I want these guys to come into the league, get comfortable with the role that they're given, and then grow it. I just think that when we saw from the rookies who got to take that path was so beneficial, and it's not the it's not the most exciting thing. Like People were definitely very excited that Killian was starting on opening night. It spoke to a lot of faith from the coaching staff, from Dwayne Casey himself, obviously, but even so he had DeLon right out there with him and they were splitting the ball handling duties a bit. I want that to happen for Cade because I think giving him all of that initially is just going to be too much. And this is, this it's, it's Cade and Killian. They're two different players and Killian definitely didn't project the level of confidence that Cade had coming in, but I just think there's a lot of benefit and I don't see the harm in it. It's the long-term play. I, I would actually argue the opposite. I think you have the correct idea regarding the long-term play. And obviously Mike said this too, it's 100% Killian was done a disservice by starting last year. I think Casey, I'm like 99% sure Casey actually said, I probably made a mistake in starting him because yeah, for a variety of reasons, not, uh, not to not include the fact that he just wasn't ready as a player. Um, he wasn't equipped to handle what starting, you know, uh, level players in the NBA were, were throwing at him. So no, he was not good to begin last year. I think that he improved when he came back from injury, but not handled correctly. Do I think that that means that a one-for-one one comparison should be made between, well, Killian had this, and so Cade should have this, so he we can act? No. Like Cade, it's like Mike said. Cade came in as one of the most pro-ready prospects, so say the draft experts, you know, of the past decade. So I'm pretty confident that he can figure it out regardless of who he's playing with. And while we're on the topic, I don't think Corey Joseph should be in the starting lineup simply for the fact that Cade and Killian's fit is pertinent to the immediate future of the organization. So in my mind, 
you need to have the two of them on the floor together for the most amount of time possible and preferably in meaningful minutes, in meaningful situations, so we can figure out how they operate with one another. Because if Killian has not improved or he's not really uh, jiving with Cade, then maybe you start to question what his long-term fit on the roster is. And I think figuring that out needs to be the utmost priority. And Killian being your sixth man or just your bench initiator, him and Cade playing off each other, like one is on the court and one is off the court, is not going to answer that question. And that's a question that needs to be answered. So simply for that fact, I would disagree, even though I think you have the right idea. So I hope that I was able to articulate that clearly. Yes, uh, just a, a couple of things for me. Uh, number one, Killian and DeLon Wright did not share the ball handling duties. Uh, at least that's not how I saw it. It's more or less DeLon got to handle the ball. Blake Griffin got to handle the ball. Killian got to bring the ball up the floor, give it to somebody, and then just hang out at the three-point line while Blake Griffin posted up you know, backed his way to the basket for five seconds and then attempted a bad post hook through double coverage while Killian was wide open to three point one. So there were so many things wrong with what happened at the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, he wasn't ready, but it was also something I think was was handled very poorly by Dwayne Casey. Very poorly. So, you know, that that's one thing. But again, I'm I'm just gonna say, I mean, I'll just say again, I think just the situations are so different. Like when you have Killian, who he was coming in versus Cade, who he is coming in. And also there, so that really determines, I think, how, should, how you should handle the situation. Players who are very NBA ready, but may just have some wrinkles to smooth out. You toss them in there, you give them the chance to do that. Cade's certainly not a player who's going to lack for confidence or be beaten down by the pressure. I mean, that's, that's part of, that was part of his appeal, part of the reason he was the number one overall pick. So, yeah, th- but those guys, I think you throw them in and you allow them to improve on the fly. With guys like Killian, who uh, Killian just by personality seems to be a lot m- more hesitant. Not necessarily a bad thing. You know, he's you know barely past 19 right now, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, you know, still really young player. And he did come from straight from Euro Cup, which is, like I said, not a very high league. Uh, so he came straight there with no summer league, no really team training uh, in the offseason, very little. A short offseason. You should be a short training camp, short preseason, straight into the best league in the world. So I think that these situations are just enormously disparate. And I, I don't think it would necessarily even be a good situation if you're saying, okay, Cable, we're putting you on the court, but we want to let somebody else handle the ball for part of the, you know, I want to let Corey Joseph handle the ball for part of the time. I mean, I just, I don't think it's necessary. Now, when it comes to the fit between Killian and Cade, I, I don't think anything's really going to be moving with Killian until at least the end of his third season. So I don't think you really need to find that out so soon. He's probably still got work to do. But I, I just think it makes more sense to run the two of them in parallel rather than toss Corey Joseph in the starting lineup just, you know, so that he can handle the ball to some degree. If Killian's not working out, then sure, go for it. Those are my yeah, thoughts we're kind of Yeah, we're kind of approaching two different conversations because they kind of focus around one move that I kind of see as addressing two concerns. One, I don't want Killian to start the season. Uh, like, it, like, yes, obviously he really did struggle and he was really put at a disadvantage starting on opening night after not having a preseason, not having a summer league. That's all absolutely true. But he did come into the season saying, like, he addressed the fact that he had a weak right hand. Like he said, my right hand is not a factor anymore. And like, we've talked about this before. It's, this is not news to anybody, but he came into the league and he, I think he just, he came and he was like, just shocked by how much better it was. And I think it really, really hurt his confidence. And then I, I'm watching 
like full games of like Cade playing. And what, one of the things like the little things that he does that I think is a little bit of a problem at this point is I think when he's breaking down guys one-on-one, he shows the ball out in front of him a little bit more than he should. That's something I'm sure he's going to work on. But if you keep turning the ball over like that, this is, you know, these are the best defenders in the NBA. They're uh, without a doubt. The, the other team's best wing defenders are going to be on Jeremy and Cade. Like he's going to have to deal with less double and triple coverage, but very good individual NBA talent. Uh, I would like for him, like a guy who can play off the ball as well as he does, I would like to see him split the ball handling duties a little bit just to start the year. Uh, I'm not talking about like Corey Joseph is the starter 40, 50 games into the year. Obviously, I would like to see Killian start by that point, but I would like to ease him in and I would like Cade to have somebody who can take the pressure off of him. That's all I'm suggesting. You know, it's I obviously want to see the fit between those guys too, and that's why I'm very, very excited for Summer League, which we're going to talk about. But I think that is a much better opportunity to see how those guys play off of each other. The athleticism and the the, co- the quality of competition is obviously significantly lower. But I think you, in terms of seeing how they pass the ball and how they work off of each other, that's a good opportunity there. So, all right, well, after all that, uh, we all like the Corey Joseph signing. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, can you tell? Yeah, I mean, it's true. We all do. Despite, Some of us more know. than others, I guess. Yeah. yeah, well, we just have different visions for it, I suppose. But you're getting a yes. guy at five, at $5 million against the cap who's, who's going to yeah. be a solid veteran leader either way. I think I think, I think think it was good. Yeah, we can agree signing. on that yeah. for sure. Yeah. So that uh, brings us on to the second re-signee as Saban Lee. Uh, re-signed for $3 million at somewhere around the minimum it's unclear that he was signed with at the exception with which he was signed uh allows for a first year salary of up to 120 percent of his previous salary which he was a two-way player is basically 120 percent of the salary of a one-year nba veteran so it'll be anywhere from like uh you know 1.5 ish to 1.8 ish million dollars so yeah, so that's uh, Saban Lee, three years, and uh, the final season is a team option. I'm happy about it. I'm I'm pretty bullish on Saban Lee, and I, I just think that if it, he's a guy who is really athletic, he's got a good head for the game, uh, he's got apparently just a great personality, he's a super hard worker, and he's already shown his acuity as a guy who's... who's in, in his rookie season, fairly good at driving to the uh, at driving to the basket, scoring there, and pretty good floor vision, safe with the ball. The main hole is his lack of perimeter shooting, and if he can get that together, then I think he could be a, a long term player for the Pistons. So, yeah, I, I really like Saban quite a bit. If he can't get a shot together, then he's going to be out of the NBA. But that's true of almost anybody who isn't a center. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the shot is a question mark, but then again, it's like you said, the shot is a question mark for any player who hasn't shown that they can hit uh, from range consistently. But I was super happy with the signing too. You know, I I remember thinking, oh, the fabled fourth member of the core four, right? And and I know we used to joke about how uh, (laughs) Weaver probably just didn't want to leave Saban out because it would be a little awkward, but all indications were that they seemed to have had a first round grade on Saban coming out of last year's draft. They picked him, uh, they gave him some run pretty early on when there were some injuries or there was some load management and he he showed out, you know, he had, uh, I think it was back-to-back games with 20 points and obviously those almost posterizers until he finally got one. And when his shot is falling, he's a highly effective player. You know, he sort of reminds me of like a hyper-explosive-ish Smith, not really a one-for-one comparison sort of loose, but in terms of like that quick 
uh, that, that kind of quick twitch, make things happen on offense, sort of jerky, uh, get things going, undersized point guard. Uh, Saban kind of fills that role to a T. So he's someone who can be a spark plug off the bench. I'm excited to see how he grows and progresses. And as he currently stands, I think he's relatively effective. If he gets that shot to be more consistent, I think he'll be a really good backup point guard. Yeah, this figures to be a pretty good year for Saban just because of the the changes to the DNA of the roster. We have Kelly Olenek, who we talked about in the previous episode. He's a he's a spacing big. The The entire projected front court can space now. And I think when when you have a guy who's whose main draw is like he's a very physical, very athletic player who likes to attack the basket, you know, things are going to get a little bit easier for him in theory because the driving lanes are going to open up and he's going to be able to um, attack guys with less in his way. So with that in mind, I think this is going to be this is a better opportunity for Saban, especially going into year two. I think he'll be able to if there's any if there's any opportunity for him to make take advantage of this athleticism that he has. This is a good good year for it. Well, I don't think he's going, barring injuries or just him coming in and performing tremendously well and just winning his way into the rotation. Uh, I think he'll probably play most of the season in the G League. Uh, I agree the additional spacing will help him, but it's going to be no substitute for him actually becoming able to shoot. Like, yeah, I I, I, I see, I, I've, like Ish Smith, you look at him, sure, like pretty uh, small guard who's really quick and uh, just speeds around the court. But, you know, Ish Smith, I think it's nice that he got another contract with Charlotte, but Ish Smith is like one of the last, absolute last of a certain breed of point guard who just couldn't shoot. So, I mean, with Saban, it's like, yeah, you got better open driving lanes, great. But unless you're like that kind of amazing player, like Giannis or something, uh, who just has so much of it that you don't need to be, you can be a primary ball handler who doesn't need to shoot, and you have a team built around you, I mean, you got to be able to shoot. Otherwise, you know, your peak is Alfred Payton, who is not a good player. You know, good passer, but not a good player. So that that's, of course, I think going to be the biggest thing for him. And I've said it before, you know, Saban continues to refine his game and becomes a, a reliable, like legitimately reliable three-point shooter, willing and able. Then who knows, maybe Killian Hayes becomes expendable. Like, uh, I, I feel like Saban's got a pretty good ceiling, and I don't think that ceiling is necessarily just backup point guard. All right. Uh, anything you guys like to add about Saban before we move on? That's pretty high praise. That's that's really cool. Uh, no, otherwise, I think I'm good. Yeah, I think we covered it, and that is high praise. I was kind of kind of fired me up to hear it. So maybe the ceiling's higher than Tommy or I anticipate. And Mike, I agree with your assessment. So I guess we'll see. He's your Sadiq Bay. Nobody is anybody's Sadiq Bay. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I don't think, of course, he's got anything. He doesn't have Killian's vision or uh, probably his his acuity as a passer. But you know, he's he's, he's got other assets he can bring to the table, and uh, and athleticism is very 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 nice to have. It's not the be all end all, but uh, you know, being an elite athlete really helps out with with one ceiling in the NBA. I think. Of course, we know there are exceptions in which not a particularly athletic player can be a superstar. But anyway, I digress. So. Uh, just the, the other two uh, free agents of note for the Pistons, both restricted, and restricted means that the Pistons can choose to match any offers they get from other teams, are Frank Jackson and Hamadou Diallo. Uh, I, I don't know if the Pistons are just waiting to see what comes, uh, or, if, or if it's the players themselves, if the Pistons have made an offer already. I personally don't anticipate Frank Jackson, who's coming off, you know, he was, in, he was a two-way player, 
and is coming off part of a season as as a good shooter is uh is likely to draw a very big offer hamadou who knows but uh we'll see soon enough i suppose so with that let's get on to the summer league preview so uh, tommy i know you're i know we're all excited about it but i think you are particularly excited for summer league yeah i i guess so i mean it's it's pistons basketball man like we haven't gotten to watch that in a little while and this is going to be our first time seeing Cade, and it's it's a summer league uniform, but we're going to get to see Cade. We get to see how him and Killian fit together. Sadiq Bey is playing. I don't think he'll play in all the games, but we get to see like the core, the future of our franchise, how this is our first look at that. And I'm just, I'm so excited to see how all these guys fit together. Like that's like the main thing for me. And just going into it, just to start off, I, I pulled this quote up really quickly because it took me like a day to realize it, but Cade's leadership skills are already showing out. Like there's this quote, we want to go, we want to win summer league. We want to go undefeated as a team. I want everyone to leave summer league feeling like they became a better player and that they became a better piece to this puzzle and add it and add it to this team. So we can go into the regular season feeling good about ourselves. Like he's taking ownership of the team already. And that's, that's just fantastic. Like Jeremy Grant, obviously he's in Tokyo right now. He's probably still, the de facto leader. And I know that the guys really respect him, but it's going to be so cool to see like the alpha that this team really seemed to need last year, uh, already taking ownership of the team and already seeming to like want these guys to play their game, play their role and get better. Like it's, it's been fantastic to see the way that Kate has brought bought into everything. And sure. It's the team with the number one overall pick. He wants to be the number one overall pick, but I don't care. I'm excited and I just, I'm happy that they're embracing it. So I I don't know about you guys, but before we even talk about what we want to see in summer league, I'm just very, very excited for, for all the good things that are starting to happen. Yeah. And, and, uh, Cade's sort of like, you know, in like my career, when you pick like the right answers to the press conference questions all the time, then it's like team chemistry up fans up. It's literally that every time Cade opens his mouth, it's like the best thing I've ever heard in my life. And that quote that you just read, Tommy, it's almost like he sat down and he wrote it beforehand. Like the fact that he was just able to rattle that off stream of consciousness, like it's just absolutely wild to me. And it really only indicates that those are his genuine feelings and that's what he actually thinks. And if we have a 19 year old coming in, who's saying that the primary objective for summer league is one to win and two, to make sure everybody feels like they're a bigger part of the team, a more important part of the team by the time they leave. That's amazing. And so I I share your excitement 100%. I think, uh, in Pistons history, has there been a more hype summer league? Like there are so many competing storylines here. You know, we've got Cade Cunningham. How is he going to look? How is his fit with Killian going to be? Has Killian's shooting improved? Is Sadiq Bey going to be the MVP of the summer league? Because quite honestly, he doesn't belong there. Um, what is Luca Garza going to look like? Is Sekou Domboya going to actually take that step towards being a more assertive, confident player and making sure that his presence is felt on the court. Uh, all of these storylines are running um, simultaneously and we're going to, I won't promise that we'll get answers to all of them, but at the very least we'll gain some insight. So I share your enthusiasm. I absolutely cannot wait for, what is it? Sunday? I think it's Sunday. So I'm fired up. I'm ready to yep, go. The eighth. Sunday the 8th. Can't wait. Marking it on my calendar. <laughs> really? You, you need to mark it on your calendar. It's three days away. Listen, I get really excited and I'm very yeah. thorough. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I wanted to mention about Seku. I mean, it's 
there are, of course, a lot of questions as to, you know, what's the future with the team? Uh, like, you know, Troy Weaver has gotten rid of almost everybody who was on the roster. And, you know, he's the last one. And, yeah, my feelings about about that, I, I think that that narrative may be a little bit overblown. Uh, Troy Weaver did not exactly, did not actually inherit that many players under NBA contract when he became the GM. So there were... Bruce Brown and Kyrie Thomas, apparently he felt they didn't have much to offer in a rebuild. Uh, or in the case of Bruce, maybe that he had reached his ceiling. There was Tony Snell, the invisible man, who, uh, you know, sorry, Tony, but, uh, you know, this guy's about as disposable an NBA player as they come. Uh, Luke Kennard was restricted. And I think the only other two under contract, aside from Seku, I might be missing one person, I don't think so. I think the only other two were Derek Rose and Blake Griffin, and we know why they were moved. So I don't. I think the notion that it's you know, though he wants to remake the roster, he's just not the kind of guy. I mean, Seku is the only player on that roster who was both under contract and a young player with upside, with significant upside. But I think just where the Pistons are right now, like unless, uh, I just I just don't think. I think the Pistons have potentially a lot to gain by being patient, and very little to gain by being impatient, unless some other team is willing to give up something you know, significant return. I don't think that's the case. Seku came into that draft as I, he might've been the youngest guy in that draft. And then everybody was talking about like, he he's, he's going to take a little while. And we didn't have a G league team last year. Uh, now we have one right downtown. Like they're going to be able to take advantage of that. I want Seku to spend most of the year in the G league. If he doesn't look like he's ready for the NBA yet, I would rather do that than trade him for like a second rounder at this point. Uh, I just, you know, the, the, the projected upside of a guy like Seku is a lot higher than the projected upside of the equivalent second round pick that you're probably going to get for him at this point. Just I think the, the, the idea is just be patient. And in that same vein, like I know I've been really tough on Killian, but I, I have a new level of optimism for him going into the summer league. I think this is kind of the level of competition that he's going to be able to get comfortable against. I, I don't know if any of you, either of you guys have anything more to say about Seku. Dante, I don't know if you got a chance. Um, well, I, I, I just agree. I think um, we've touched on this a number of times in that Seku's value is the highest in the league to the Pistons, you know, because in terms of current production or current outlook, what team is going to give something of equal or greater value to what he potentially could be? So the Pistons are not incentivized to trade him because the return would be bad. And teams are not incentivized to trade for him because what has he shown that he's worth, you know, giving up an asset for? So not only do I not see a trade materializing, I don't really think it makes sense for anybody. But I do know that this summer league is a really good litmus test for how he's progressed as a player. And Casey has spoken very highly of him. And I I know Casey can fall into a little bit of the uh, head coach fluff trap, but I don't think he just gives praise just because I think when he says something, he actually means it. And he said that Seku's been coming in, working hard, working on his game, showing initiative, showing good communication skills. So put your money where your mouth is. Let's see it. And the time to see it is August 8th. So let's, <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I guess that takes us to Killian and Cade, because obviously that's like the biggest thing that people are looking for. We've discussed it on here. We discussed it in the Cade episode. We've probably discussed it when they were drafted. Like, the fit between those guys is crucial for the future of our franchise. And we get finally to see like a little bit of what that balance will look like. And I am newly optimistic, not that Killian is 
the absolute best fit for Cade or that he is definitely the long-term solution, but that their fit can be good and that they can play off each other and be, uh, and that their, their play styles and their, their strengths are complementary. Maybe I think there's some overlap with their game. And I still think that if you were going to design a player to play next to Cade at the two or just the opposite end of him, I don't think it's Killian, but We'll see, I guess. We'll we'll see what Killian can do against redu- like a lower level of competition. Maybe we get to see the type of player that he was projected to be, where he was, you know, comfortable and he was able to attack guys and absorb a little contact, where he felt like he was one of the better players on the floor. I think that was something that really rattled him when he started the season last year. And obviously, like you said, Mike, no summer league, no preseason. That doesn't help, especially when you're one of the youngest te- players coming from a completely different league, completely different play style. So I, I'm, I'm curious to see what that, that will be like. I would assume that Kate is still going to be the primary ball handler. I know that Killian said at the end of last year that he was comfortable playing off ball and that that was something he'd like to do. I think that the team should operate that way. I don't think they should have, I don't know, I don't think they should be just giving out possessions and minutes just because they want to make certain guys feel good. Uh, Cade comes into this, I think, as the better ball handler and better offensive initiator compared to Killian. So that's what I would like to see. I would like to see how Killian plays off ball next to Cade. Uh, it's, it's a time to experiment and, and let guys try things out and, and see what works, I suppose. What struck me is that the Pistons really do seem, at least with respect to, I mean, the mention of, you know, yeah, all of our 2020 rookies are going to be there. I don't, I don't remember who said that. It was either Weaver uh, or Casey. It was Casey. And, yeah. And just the fact that Sadiq Bey is going, the fact that Isaiah Stewart would have been playing if he had not, uh, you know, he's still recovering from an ankle injury he sustained during or with the select team uh, training with uh, the USA basketball team. Uh, yeah, that's unusual. It's very unusual to see a successful rookie return for another summer league, though in Sadiq's case and in Isaiah's case, this would be their first. Unless they're specifically asked to do so. Like you see players say, okay, yeah, I'd, I'd like to play because I want to you know, try out this new shot form I've been working on or whatever else. So the Pistons really seem to be stressing this group development theme. You know, like we're all in this together and we want to develop as a group and so on and so forth, which is nice to see. Uh, I'm not, uh, I'm curious to see how many games Sadiq actually plays. Uh, you know, it's possible to just be there and play a game or two, or who knows, maybe they'll, be, they'll really go all in on this thing. Uh, it is nice, though, that in this summer league, the Pistons are going to be able to more or less field a full rotation. Like, if you look back to the last summer league they played, it was like Bruce Brown and Kyrie Thomas. I think Servetus was there. Uh, goodness. Oh, Henry Ellenson. That was his last one. He shot, like, 30% from the field. <laughs> um, oh, wow. And and to be clear, are you referring to no, the wait, wait, summer no. Bruce Brown triple-doubles? Oh, right. Yeah, no, that was uh, Henry Ellenson, actually. 2018 was his last one, so 2019. Oh, yeah. right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, Seku wasn't able to play because he was injured and then was just not put back in the – originally and then was not put back in the lineup. But, yeah, Bruce Brown triple-double, I think. Yeah, I think he had one of those was in 2019. Mm-hmm. What a summer. Yeah, but the Pistons <laughs> – yeah, right, it was real exciting. Um, but the Pistons uh, – that was said with sarcasm. I was never high on Bruce Brown. I like him, but I was never high on this player. As, as a personality, he seems like an absolutely great guy, though. So, yeah, the Pistons will have, I believe, uh, seven players. Yeah, seven players, seven team-owned players, uh, you know, between 
uh, the players are already under contract and players who were drafted this season. And then two additional, the, the recent releases, Cook and Servetus. So yeah, they'll have more or less a full rotation, which is nice. Uh, that, that'll make it more enjoyable than just watching a bunch of guys who are going to be kind of low in the rotation, which is what it was like in 2019, even 2018. So yeah, this, this should be, I think, a very enjoyable summer league to watch all around. Yeah, I think you're going to get a lot of the same stuff that we're going to see kind of in going into the season, especially from guys like Killian and Caden. I think the fact that Sadiq is there, I think they're going to give him a shot to like, we're going to get to see what he's been working on. Obviously, we've all talked about how we want to see him add motion threes. This is a great opportunity for him to put that into a real game, you know, the real pace of a game, real defenders. And that's that's just another thing. It's really exciting this year because the summer league doesn't usually translate this heavily to the NBA season. We're going to get to see like real NBA action and real NBA plays that we're probably going to get to see in action in the 82 game season. So it's just, that's part of the reason why I'm just so excited about this one. Like I'm, I'm curious to see who gets to do what and how they choose to balance these guys out, because I think it is going to have direct connotations or implications to what happens in the regular season. Yeah, it's good. It's also, like you said, it's Pistons basketball. It's our first opportunity to see Kate Cunningham in a Pistons uniform. And also, yeah, I mean, you've, you've got uh, a significant number of players there who will quite possibly be in the Pistons rotation uh, going into the next season. Certainly Sadiq Bey, obviously Cade, Killian. Um, I think Saban Lee, like I said, I think will be in the G League. Seku perhaps will, make us, will, will be in the NBA in the upcoming season rather than the G League. And, uh, oh, it, it, Bears mentioned Isaiah Stewart will be there. He will not be playing. He's still recovering. Isaiah Livers is still recovering from an injury he sustained in March. And uh, Chris Smith, as we mentioned, is still uh, recovering from his ACL tear. But so we've got, you know, Kate, of course, that's a story. He and Killian, just Killian himself, that's a story. What Sadiq Bay can do that's new. How Seku looks. What other stories do you think? Uh, well, do you think really watching in the summer league? I was literally about to ask Mike if that's not what you said. What I was going to say was, aside from the fit with Killian and Cade, which would be everybody's obvious answer, what would you guys say would be your number one storyline? And once you name it, how do you think we can look to have it answered, or rather, what can we look for to see that question answered? So for me, my storyline that I'm looking out for is can Luca Garza hang against NBA level competition? Now, I'm not saying that every single player in summer league is like a bona fide NBA player, but I do think it's worth paying attention to how Luca's lateral mobility looks and if his offensive ability is able to offset the defensive liability. So I know that he's um, looking to play a big part in the summer league. I know that he wants to win it too, based on his interview that he gave with uh, Isaiah Livers there. That was a good watch. So anybody who hasn't should probably go watch it. But I think that that's something that you can look at and based on the eye test, immediately sort of gauge where his progress is. So that's my number one storyline aside from the obvious ones. Yeah, I definitely echo what you said, that it's it's not equal to the level of competition in the NBA. Uh, well, not even, that's quite far from it. It's definitely between the NCAA and the NBA. But uh, I think, I think Dante, what you're making reference to is that... Uh, that Luca has lost 30 pounds since coming out of the NCAA. So maybe see how, how, you know, if he looks a little bit different in, in summer league, because he was definitely, Pretty much. yeah, definitely struggling defense. You know, it's just, his defensive struggles in the NCAA are well-documented. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. My, 
yeah, for me, it's, uh, you know, this may seem pretty vanilla, but it's just coming in and seeing what Cade looks like, really. Uh, I, I'm anticipating he'll score at, at least 50 points a game, uh, you know, maybe like 20 assists. and That low? Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, I'm, just, I'm just excited to see it. Of course, you know, guys can come in and have their, you know, and have their wrinkles. But uh, I'm just I'm just excited to come in and see him play in a Pistons uniform, and and see what that looks like. Really. Still doesn't feel real, does it? it? Like it's 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 crazy. I don't think it'll really hit me until he's on the court for the first time, and even then it'll be like ah, oh, it's summer league. So maybe when the regular season rolls around, I'll sort of kind of let the reality of it hit me in the face that oh my god, we won the lottery and we got Cade Cunningham. But uh, yeah, I completely agree. Let's see how he looks, and I'm fully anticipating him to look just stellar. We can only hope, but that's what I'm anticipating. We can hope. Yeah. It definitely feels real to me, though. I'll tell you that. It's like uh, it, it, that after the Pistons won the lottery, it felt a little unreal, uh, and it felt a little unreal leading up to the draft. But after all the, you know, after all the waits and what are the Pistons going to do, and him finally having his name called, it's it's pretty well hammered home into my head at this point. You have a better cognitive recognition than I do, then, because I'm <laughs> still failing to grasp the reality of it. But eventually, I'll get on your wavelength. I think. Yeah. It's it's still pretty crazy, and I don't know. I maybe I don't know if you guys remember, but when we did that episode and on the tail end of it, where we made our predictions, I I had such a sinking feeling that we were gonna pick low, just because it was like the chances of us getting this guy are just so slim. And gosh, it's gonna suck that some other team is gonna get him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. And then but, in comes Mike. That's yeah, so Raven, like, and he calls. No, him. you're all wrong. We're getting number one. <laughs> He knew the whole time. Yeah. yeah, the freezing cold envelope or the freezing cold ping pong ball. I think it yeah. was all a conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 I should. I don't share my methods. You know, it's important that these remain mysterious. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, gosh, other than Cade, I mean, so much of it pertains to Cade because really the biggest thing for me again is the fit between Killian Hayes and Cade Cunningham. I want to see how they balance that out. I want to see how they balance out the possessions. I want to see. If Cade and Killian are doing a lot of off-ball moving, I think that's very important if they're going to be playing together. Um, I guess other than Cade, it just goes back to Killian. Um, like I kind of alluded to in that little Corey Joseph thing, I think Killian came into the league and it was just too much of a step for him to take all at once, and he stumbled. I think bringing him in slowly against lower-level competition, like one of the things, the biggest things that he struggled with uh, last year was attacking because he would get bumped and he'd kill his dribble. And a lot of times that was the end of it. Uh, the only shot that we really got to see him take was uh, the occasional catch and shoot three all, and even more sparse off the dribble three. And then he had like that little in between floater, which looked nice. And that's a good shot to have at some point, but it's like, it's, it's the other level of the three level scoring the more important two being at the rim and on the perimeter so i want to see him attack i want to see him finish and take contact and look comfortable i think that would be the biggest thing for him and then going into the year if he looks really comfortable against these guys i'd still like to see him off the bench unless they're like totally sure that he's ready to play against nba competition and nba starters and that level of physicality but i think if we're taking it a little bit slower like we did with isaiah and uh, Sadiq, I think bringing him along slowly and seeing if we can ramp him up and how much he's able to add when he looks comfortable. I think that's what I'm going to be looking for. And then Seku, I want to see if he looks 
Like he can hang with these guys, and if he can shoot at a decent percentage, everybody says that he looks like a superstar in the G League when he was there. It might just be his level of athleticism, but I want to see if he can legitimately put it together, maybe on the perimeter, because that's where he needs to uh, excel if he's going to be a long-term piece in the NBA. So those are the things that I'll be looking for other than Cade. Um, and I'm just really excited to see like what these guys look like against competition that is closer to their age. And I don't want to say closer to their skill level. These are NBA like mid first rounders and high first rounders. You know, they're, they're supposed to be better than these guys, but we'll see. That's, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, I would say it, I think it should be kept in mind that these guys, I mean, the Pistons played their last game on the 16th of May. I mean, it won't even have been three months when they hit the foreign summer league. So I wouldn't expect that much progress from them. I mean, they it's it's nice that they've had this time off just to train, but you know, if if Seku comes in and he's looking like way better, Killian comes in and he can now operate with his left hand and shoot threes, I'll be like, wow, you know, that's huge. You guys really got a lot of work done in like eleven weeks or something like that. Twelve weeks, I guess, is what it would be, but whatever. But you know, a little little under three months. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I I would I would say that that's I don't expect that to be the case. Put it that way. I mean, Seku. Just to circle back to his case, I mean, this is a guy who was drafted for his upside years in the future. Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't put it uh, by any means outside the realm of possibility that when he was drafted, Ed Stefanski and company were thinking, okay, well. You know, it's entirely possible, and this is fine. We'll accept this, that Seku might not be NBA ready. You know, maybe his first season will be in 2021-2022. So it should be noted he remains a very raw player. And that to make that amount of, to, to make it, it, it is very difficult to make a significant degree of progress in three months. And I doubt these guys left the regular season, the grind of the regular season, and then just immediately went to work. Uh, most people would not. I mean, I, I hope they've been working hard. I'm sure they have. I'm confident they have, but. Yeah, I, I wouldn't expect miracles. Not from not from twelve weeks of work. Yeah, it's not like it's not that I'm suggesting that Sadiq Bay added this like some like motion threes in the in the span of three months. It's more about the level of competition. Like two years ago, Kyrie Thomas first or second game of his summer league dropped twenty nine and he attributed it to confidence and just feeling comfortable. That's more what I'm looking for. I want these guys to be able to handle uh this level of competition and and Quite frankly, they should look a lot better, uh, Not if not because of what they've been working on, than just because of the relative competition. So that, I think, it's not a perfect litmus, litmus test, but I think it's a good way to see how comfortable you look. If you can dominate against these guys, that and not just on athleticism, I think that speaks well to your confidence and how well you'll translate at the next level. Uh, but that's more kind of what I was referencing. Like it would be nice to see these guys. Cause like you, you see these guys in videos and like open gyms, they don't miss a shot. Uh, it's they come into the NBA game, obviously everything tightens up, but they should have a leg up in terms of athleticism and, and skill, you know, relative to where they were picked. So it should be a good time for them. And if, if it's not, I'm, that's when I'm going to be a little bit more concerned. Yeah. I mean, Killian's never going to have an advantage in athleticism. I mean, even, even at the in the summer league level, he's average at best. Uh, and Saban was drafted late. He's highly athletic. I mean, I would say what their advantages is that they played in the NBA already, but I just wouldn't. Even if, if Killian struggles, if Seku struggles, 
you know, these are still raw players. I'm not going to be concerned. They're still young. Uh, and it takes time. It takes time for some guys to even build that, that degree of confidence. And fortunately the Pistons have the luxury of that time. And presumably also the recognition that, that these, you know, that, that, that's those players who need that time to, to, to develop properly mentally and, and just in terms of skills, you know, that that's just how they are and that's what needs to be done. And, and that's just part of the process. So yeah, if, if they come in a summer league and they're still struggling, I'm, I'm not going to be too concerned this next year. The Pistons, uh, I, I agree, Dante said this, they're not tanking anymore. I think that they'll be happy to win if they come, but it'll still be down to development. So I'm not going to take anything really out of the summer league in terms of, you know, if things if things are going well and I see that, you know, cool. If some guys are still struggling, that's fine. You know, it, it is what it is. And this is, you know, this, this stuff takes time. All right. Anything to add before we uh, call it finished on this episode? Yeah, I, I I thought that was a really good conversation between the two of you. That's why I haven't spoken in a while. I was just so enthralled. You know, you guys have very sweet, soothing voices. So kind of lulling me to sleep a little bit. Fantastic. But, <laughs> but I, while we're talking about the level of competition in summer league and sort of, you know, how much could someone really improve in three months and we're not taking too much out of it. I do think that, you know, even if it's between the NCAA and the NBA and skill level, it's still a step below the NBA. And so if we're thinking that Killian, Sadiq, um, Cade, and hopefully Seku are NBA players, you would expect them to, uh, I don't know if dominate summer league is the right term, but at the very least, you know, get their shots off easier, look more comfortable, look more polished, and overall look like they're a step above the guys there because for the most part, they're supposed to be. And I I just always thought, you know, and this is not just specific to basketball or the Pistons, it, it kind of... It has to do with all sports in general, but when someone dominates weaker competition, it's like, oh, so-and-so only did that against this defense or against this player or in this conference or in this division. And it's like, well, if that team or that player is truly superior, wouldn't you expect them to outperform inferior competition? Like, doesn't that at the very least speak to the fact that they belong a tier higher than where they're currently playing? So I, I, while I agree with you, Mike, that we can't extrapolate too, too much from only a three-month training period and then back to summer league action, at the very least, I would like to see them perform well. You know, I would like to see Killian have a respectable three-point percentage. I would like to see Seku assert himself on the court and look like he, you know, belongs. And I'd like to see Cade stand out as the number one pick because he was the number one pick. He's supposed to be better than these guys. So put your money where your mouth is. Let's see it. Those are my final thoughts. All right. Well, we're going to call it uh, at this point in this episode. We've actually been recording for about two hours now <laughs> between between the previous episode and this one. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, definitely looking forward to Summer League. And, uh, and we'll see how it goes. We'll be back uh, with analysis uh, after it's over. So, as always, thank you all for listening. And we will catch you in the next episode. 